Good morning, church. Good morning. You're very, very welcome to our service here at Living Hope Belfast this morning. Church, if you'd like to stand to your feet, we're going to worship together.
Church, we take your seats just as we come around the table. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. It says, Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Church, united in thought and in purpose. You know what? We live in a world that, that, that just seems to take such pleasure in division. Wants to give, it wants to, it wants to divide people, whether it be um, through, through political affiliation, whether it be through... Um, through thought-provoking things. We live in a world that causes division. And yet we gather today as a body of believers knowing that there are so many, there are so many bodies of believers all across this land, all across the world today that will do what we are doing in harmony and in unity as Christ's church. The world might seek to divide us, but church, Christ unites us, as does his table, which obviously was established in community, was established to the disciples, and was taught to be in unity, church. This table, it is community. Together we come as a church, and we know that we all need this. We all need it. We all need to come to Christ. We all need to, to confess what is on our hearts and what is on our minds. And we need to break bread. We need to take of the cup. We all need this. Jesus broke bread with people. He took communion with people. With God's people. And today we do the very same thing. This is something that we must do together church a second verse found in John chapter 8 verse 36 it says therefore if the son makes you free you shall be free indeed church how good is it to know that we take of these emblems in absolute freedom because the son set us free and that is what this represents through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave church we are free and free indeed that won't be taken away from us when we come to the table we can leave behind everything that has happened and we admit our mistakes and we take this bread and we take this cup and we do it 
and freedom, church. Church, this table is community. This table is freedom. And finally, it is a declaration. You see, the verses that we read, they'll tell us. And in different versions, use slightly different words, but they all mean the same thing. We declare the Lord's death because it meant death to our sin, to the penalty of sin. Christ took that for us. We declare the Lord's death because we know that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, but we know that he rose from the grave and we know what is to come. That one day, that one day he will return. And so we declare, we declare what Christ has done on the cross and why we gather around the table. We gather in community church. We gather in freedom and we gather in declaration. We declare that we are Christ. We declare that our Lord Jesus, he died on the cross. We declare that he rose again and we declare church, he's coming back again. Amen. The church, we're gonna take of the emblems today and you will find on your seat this little cup. It has two layers. The first layer, the you'll peel back, there's a thin layer of plastic on the top. You peel that back, you'll find the wafer that represents the bread. And then the second layer, that little layer of foil, you peel that back, you'll find the juice, and that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. If you, if you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to take of this. If not, then we just encourage you just to leave it sitting where it is. Allow me to read church some verses found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning of verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just allow me to pray before we take of the wafer. Lord, we thank you for Christ's body broken for us. God, there is nothing we can do to deserve that. We thank you for the grace that we find in Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for a consistent reminder of what has been done for us, what has been paid for us. Lord, we thank you for the body broken for us. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we give thanks. Amen. Please feel free to take of that wafer today. goes on to say in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes church allow me to pray Lord we thank you for your son's blood willingly shed, willingly given for us. God, we thank you for all that this represents. We thank you, Lord, 
that, that we have been cleansed because of this. And God, we pray that today, as we would, as we would continue on, would we remember to proclaim, would we declare, Lord, would you help us to do that? Thank you for the blood shed for us. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Church, please feel free to take of the cup.
Amen. Amen. Church, God is good, isn't he? Wow. Praise God. Thank you to the team. Church, just a few things that we uh, want to make you aware of, um, some things that we want to go over. And first of all, I would just like to say, if you're new here, you're so welcome. Um, we really mean that. I hope that you've received, well, I know that you will re receive a warm welcome at the door, but we're so glad that you're here. You're welcome, and so too is your family, so are your kids. We run the kids' space um, during each of our services on a Sunday um, and so our kids space the way it works is you come in the front doors and immediately your kids go into their own room and have their own program the entire time that you're in church and they'll come and find you in the last song so that's for primary school age kids if you have any children that are a bit younger and you're worried about them being disruptive in the service or anything like that we have a parent and baby room just out these doors and to the left that you can use um, where you'll be able to see and hear everything that's going on in the service and we encourage you to make use of that as I said we do have another service uh, tonight at 6:30 p.m. and we continue on um, looking at Matthew and we have Stephen Francie speaking tonight on the invitation to follow so we carry on with the invitation carry on with the vision and we encourage you to be here tonight and on Tuesday night um, Tuesday night we gather at 7 30 p.m. and we're gathering around the Word of God we have the Living Word Bible study uh, which Tim Bailey will be uh, taking so he's going to be teaching us on Tuesday night we encourage you if you want to hear more of God's Word then please come along to that uh, next Saturday there's a few exciting things happening um, I'll plug first Mini Pulse so Mini Pulse is for the teenagers thank you Caitlin Glad at least one of us is excited, that's good. So, Mini Pulse is for uh, the teenagers and the tickets are selling out fast. We actually, um, originally we had booked 20 tickets for the young people thinking that that'll be enough at the minute. I think we're at 27, um, so uh, we're gonna be needing to take a few cars as well. But yeah, next Saturday um, is Mini Pulse. We're leaving church at 10 a.m. and we'll probably be back at about half 11 at night. So if you're looking rid of your teenagers, it's a fiver, by the way, a fiver, and they'll be gone the entire day the entire day and of course next Saturday as well is um, Kildare so the ladies are heading to Kildare for a shopping trip um, so we're putting on a coach which will leave Living Hope at 8am isn't that right yeah so it's going to leave Living Hope at 8am there's a few tickets still left but um, we're really getting into the last few so if you want to purchase those then you can do that at the info desk just as you walk out of the front doors of church there but by by the, the end, I expect by the time we leave church today, they'll be sold out. So um, there'll be a mad rush now to the info desk. But yeah, you really need to get your tickets for that um, so that you can have your place on the coach. Um, and on 
Tuesday the 1st is the men's event, isn't that right? I got the right date there. So we have um, our men's event on Tuesday the 1st, which we're still selling tickets for as well. Um, there actually aren't a lot of tickets left, um, which is incredible. The church is really going to be packed. So if you um, or any men you know would like to be a part of that, you can uh, get tickets there from the info desk there, £3 each um, too. And we'll feed you curry on the night as well. So you can't beat that, £3 for a good curry and a good night so um, we really encourage you to get involved in that and finally then next Sunday evening next Sunday evening we're doing something a little bit different um, we're we're hosting what's called the conversation the conversation and what that is is it's going to be Pastor Matt and it's going to be Tim Bailey uh, discussing what do we do when the hard times come and it's going to be a discussion between these two with all of their experience, with all of their wisdom and knowledge. We really encourage you to come along and to hear what they have to say on such an important topic. It's going to be quite different to what we're used to, but we like different, that's good. And we encourage you to be here next Sunday night. If you're not, you will miss out. We really, really think that you should be here for what will be a great night. Um, church, I'm just going to invite now Pastor Matt, who's going to come, and he's going to bring the word. Thank you, church. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. As we said, uh, next Sunday night, we're doing the conversation. Rebecca took a photo of me and Tim Bailey last Sunday, and immediately you will see it and think to yourself, Lowell and Hardy. That's what we're about. So we might as well get that out of the way now, okay? You will look at it and think Lowell and Hardy. Hopefully we'll have something a bit deeper to say than Lowell and Hardy. <laughs> just uh, uh, just a, a, a thank you uh, from uh, Linda, Thomas, Paula, all their family for uh, all the help. Uh, last Wednesday, far too many people to mention. Uh, the family was just blown away just by the care, the concern, and everything that, that our church does. And it does it time after time after time in caring for people. So I would just like to say thank you uh, from the front here, just on behalf of them, uh, just for everything that people did uh, last Wednesday for, for the family on the funeral of uh, Jimmy. Let's take a moment to pray before we come around the word. Father, we thank you today, Lord. We thank you for our worship. Thank you for the table as reminded the sacrifice of your son for each and every one of us. Father, we come to your word now. It's a living word, Father. And Father, it changes us and it challenges us. It teaches us, it encourages us. It inspires us, Father. It has something to say to us, every word of it. And so, Father, we thank you as we just come now and spend some time, Father. Ask you, Father, to speak, Father, to our hearts and to our minds this morning. So we continue on in the Gospel of Matthew, Father. Thank you. For the new song we sung, there is but one gospel, and we just thank you for that, the message of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. And continuing on with the series in, in Matthew, and we're coming to the end bit of middle of chapter 4, towards the end of chapter 4, where Jesus is beginning 
um, his ministry to people. There have been some uh, major events that have already happened there. The, 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 we started with the genealogy and then uh, we've worked our way through. We're looking at the Christmas story and at Christmas. Uh, last Sunday night, if you were here, Pastor Reese delivered a great message on, on temptation, the temptation of Jesus and how that helps us. The, the application to us in our lives because there's always uh, Jesus always wants to teach us something uh, and so uh, we're moving on then towards the middle and end of chapter 4 and we know that Matthew's not just uh, the first gospel but it's just the first book of the New Testament uh, it brings a whole Old Testament to fulfillment somebody described Matthew as the revolving door uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament that it picks up things in the old and it explains it in the new uh, but as it travels through as we travel through the book we'll also see it's the means by which salvation floods out to the nations through the gospel and Jesus at the beginning of his ministry his priority was to go out and to preach the word uh, to, to teach people, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. It was his purpose in coming. And this is where Matthew picks up the journey today. And I suppose in a sense we were a continuation of that journey for him because as Jesus went around changing people's lives then, he still changes people's lives today. He says that's the extension of it, we're an extension of it as his church, the, the building, uh, the, the meeting place, the other things may have changed a bit, but the message primarily hasn't changed, it's why uh, God sent his son Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 4 uh, in two sections because uh, Stevie Fancy is going to do the middle bit tonight uh, on following uh, Christ as he calls the disciples. So we start there, Matthew 4 and we'll do 12 to 17 first now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region as shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. So we see Jesus here starting his ministry. And Jesus is not only, uh, he not only stands out by the words that he says and who he is, but also what he does as well. And he's come to a point in his life where he's going to, to sort of declare he is the Messiah by preaching the gospel, teaching the word and healing the sick. And so we see here that his earliest ministry focused on Galilee, where he lived in the northern region of Israel. 
Now, this was a heavily populated area. There were people that wanted uh, to come out and hear him. We've got to remember that people are waiting. They are waiting for the Messiah to come. It has been at least 400 years since, uh, uh, really, they have experienced God speaking to them. So there is an expectation with the people. And we know the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes the person and the life of Jesus, particularly in fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Now I'm going to keep repeating myself, not because I'm getting old and sometimes old people repeat themselves. I'm repeating it because this is so important. It lays the groundwork for the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises. And they keep saying that in a sense until we'll get it until we suddenly realize that the opening part of Matthew and all the way through Matthew that Jesus Christ is a fulfillment that actually this is not an accident it's not something God in a sense has put together at the last minute he says he is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises there are many times I've told you when you come to preaching it says you only have to prepare a 15-minute sermon for 45 minutes because you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. And that's what you do when it comes to preaching. Uh, and so here, we've just repeated that again, and we keep repeating it. And so Matthew points to another proof. Because the prophecy is from Isaiah 9, and we looked at Isaiah a couple of years ago when COVID started, and we worked our way through some of the chapters there. And Jesus moves to the town of Capernaum. Now, he meets a very important person in Capernaum. He meets a tax collector. He meets a tax collector called Levi. And Levi's name is changed to Matthew. And Matthew is a tremendous name. It's a wonderful name. It is, honestly. If you know any Matthews, because their name means gift of God. Not hearing too many amens there. I should repeat it just in case you're sleeping. Matthew means gift of God. Oh, praise the Lord. Now somebody will turn around and say, but nobody calls you Matthew, everybody calls you Matt. So I suppose I could just be described as a gift. Eh? No? Okay, but gift of God. And so this is where Jesus meets Levi, the tax collector. He calls him and he becomes a writer of this gospel. And a great, a great uh, example of what Jesus does in people's lives, isn't it? He says, a hated man. Nobody likes tax collectors. Nobody likes tax collectors today. I apologize if there's any tax collectors in here. But nobody likes them. They, they, they didn't like them back then even more so because they were, they were cheating people and robbing people and charging them more. And Jesus goes up to Matthew, the writer of this gospel, and he just says, come and follow me. Uh, and later on in Matthew 9, he says, immediately he got up and followed him. I mean, he's not going to waste that opportunity, is he? And he becomes a writer of this gospel. But Matthew is from the town of Capernaum where Jesus moves to. Uh, and so there is a very specific promise here fulfilled to these people. And it talks about the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 9-1 to make that point. Because he says there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. So Jesus moving to Galilee marked a significant fulfillment of the prophecy. Now what does that teach us today? 
Well, when God promises us something yesterday, we can hold on to that promise for today, even if it's not been fulfilled yet. That's the point of the Old Testament prophecies, that actually there is an expectation and a fulfillment of them coming. We complicate it sometimes by looking at all the minute details, but we're simply this. There is an expectation that what God promised yesterday and in the past has to come to fulfillment. It has to come to fulfillment. Whether God makes a promise to us in our life and we're looking at it and say, God, when is the right time? God always fulfills his promises. He always fulfills his promises. You see here, it tells us the people of the land were described as dwelling in darkness under the shadow of death during Isaiah's time. There were two reasons for this. One, they were much closer to the Gentile people, so they were prone to more attacks. They were prone to more invasions from the other nations. The second one is this. It says the people living there were far away from the cultural and religious center of Jerusalem. They had to travel some distance uh, to reach the temple and the dwelling place of God. So Isaiah's prophecy that he had spoken of 900 years before was writing about the coming of the Messiah because not only would Jesus come but Jesus comes he brings a light that dawns on the region that brings light to the region and Matthew shows the readers that Jesus is simply that light he is the fulfillment of that prophecy that was said as they look in Isaiah and say, well, when's this going to happen and how's that going to happen? Matthew's simply declaring as they read it, he says, well, he's here. He's Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's come. And he says, he shines brightly in the land of darkness, simply known as the Galilee of the Gentiles for the mixture of the nations. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to start out in Jerusalem that was the center of everything. It could have just began there. It didn't begin there. It began up here. So the word went out to all the people. The well, not to the well-lit region of Judea, but, but the darkness in a sense of the place that he went to. Because they're the people that needed to hear the news the most. And so Isaiah 9 is often read about Christmas time. And though the prophecy was about the people of Zebulun and Naphtali, there's a verse that we know in 9 verse 6 of Isaiah when it says for unto us a child is born a son is given the government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace there we see the reading the the prediction of Jesus coming and now the fulfillment of that we're now seeing in his life by the things that he says the things that he does and who he is so Matthew's aim is ensuring the readers that they understand that Jesus was not simply just a charismatic character who merely attracted a large following. There were lots of people going around at that point who were claiming to be the Messiah. They were claiming to be God's chosen. How on earth were people going to know who the right one was? Well, it was obviously Jesus. Because not just by who he was and who he is, but what he says and what he does. And he fulfills everything that has been said to him from the Old Testament. You see, in verse 23, we get to read of the purpose of the ministry of Jesus and the purpose of his church today. Because it says that Jesus went around preaching the gospel, teaching the word, healing the sick. It's the purpose of Christ. That's what he did. 
but our responsibility as a church, we do many other things, but primarily we preach the gospel, we teach the word, and hopefully through the prayers that we pray to God, the sick get healed. It says that's the ministry of Jesus and we follow that on. But then we look at the three groups of people that Jesus comes to speak to. The first one is the religious. We know that his message is for the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and one that think they've got it all together because they follow the law. He's speaking to the religious. But he's also speaking to the rebellious as well to those that simply have no time for anything uh, that God wants to do in their life, but Jesus has come to reach them as well. But also the third group of people as well is the rejected, those in society that nobody bothers with, those in society that, he had, that people have no time for. So when Jesus went around healing the lepers and the people who were begging, who were blind, it says Jesus was concerned with the outcasts of society and so the challenge that we have is the same challenge who are we speaking to well we're speaking to the religious the rebellious and the rejected but Jesus has a message what's he saying as he begins his ministry the first one is a message of repentance uh, and we looked at this last week uh, and John the Baptist started his ministry by declaring the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus in verse 17 does exactly the same when he says that same message. The journey to salvation, the journey to being saved, the journey to having a relationship with God cannot begin any other way by, than by repentance. Uh, it cannot begin any other way. We can, we can flower it up and sugar it and do all of the things, but it has to come to a point in our lives where we look at it and say, me living my life my own way is not working, it's just a mess. It says, so at some point, I have to turn from that and turn to God. It says, that's simply just the idea of repentance. The turning that actually what God offers me through his son Jesus Christ is just better. It's more amazing. It's more incredible. It's more purposeful than me trying to live my life my own way. So he preaches that message of repentance, but then he preaches that message of redemption as well. That actually the purpose of his journey begins here, but it ends at the cross. And we're so thankful it ends at the cross for each and every one of us. We heard in the song that we knew song we sung at the end, there was just not the debt that we could pay. Never. There, there was nothing we could do to earn it, work for it. Certainly don't deserve it. When we say we don't deserve this chance, you're right, we don't deserve the chance. But that's grace and the power of the gospel. That's the message of redemption that Jesus came to bring. Uh, and so what happens in all of this? And we should make it clear now because Jesus comes and says as well, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. There are lots of people sometimes who want to make elaborate distinctions between the kingdom of heaven, the Matthew uses, the kingdom of God, the others use. But actually there actually seems to be no difference really. It's just simply Jewish custom. It wasn't for them. They never mentioned the name God never wrote it down they always used a mixture of other things and so Matthew didn't want to offend his Jewish readers by writing God so we use the kingdom of heaven but actually we know that the kingdom of heaven is here and, and it comes when Jesus has arrived because it says it's at hand and that hand means has come has arrived is here 
But you can't escape from that. You've got to look at the context that the word is written in. This is not something we're aspiring to. It's not something we're looking to, to, get, to get further down the line. It's here now. It says it's our influence in the world, isn't it, as believers? It's the kingdom has arrived because the king is here. And, and that's why Jesus has come to set the captives free, to bring freedom, to do all of the other stuff that we give him the credit for. But it says here in the occurrence of the gospel, that it says that Jesus preached the, the good news of the kingdom. But how did he do that? He hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to the cross, surely that's the gospel, that Jesus going to the cross. But he wasn't telling the Galileans and listeners about him dying for them on the cross. He was simply saying to them that this is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is he sets people free. We are not set free when we arrive in heaven. We are not healed when we arrive in heaven. Well, we are not, in a sense, receive everything that we have when we arrive in heaven. We have it now. If we don't have it now or have it in part now, why are we sitting here? Why are we in church? Have we just come because we're fighting and struggling to get God's favour in a sense? God's favour is upon us. He sent his son for us. He says we're saved this morning. He says we're not being saved further down the line we'll receive that gift of salvation we have it now it is here now uh, and i'm trying to convince somebody some of you looking at me like i'm not listen it's here now it's the good news of the kingdom do you still believe he saves people do you still believe he heals people do you still believe he sets people free is that not the gospel of the kingdom then is that is that not the gospel of the kingdom it has to be it can't be anything else you can keep waiting and waiting and waiting and expecting 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 but i tell you it's here now there was no point having our church where we have it now if we don't believe the good news of the kingdom is for now so when people come in that door in desperate circumstances and situations in their life they cannot be changed in a moment by the power of jesus christ that's it that's the gospel but it's the kingdom that is here now and you see Jesus here uh, you know he's coming and he's explaining to the people those who have been under oppression those who have been because we've got to remember these people are living in a time they're living in a land whereby everybody owns them everybody is taken captive of them and their land and Jesus was doing something different from what had been done before See, in the history of the land, people came to power by killing their predecessor. They're the ones, if they were more powerful physically, they killed the person in front of them and they came to power. Jesus' plan was not to deal death to Israel's enemies, but to deal life to Israel. Not to deal death, but to deal life. And it comes to the point of what he comes to do as he comes to preach, as he comes to teach. The word in Greek for preaching is kerosene, which is simply the word for a herald's proclamation. That simply when the king has a message, he sends somebody to proclaim that message. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ, to proclaim the message. And that's what it simply means, direct from the king. And you see, we see what Jesus does. Many towns had their own Jewish synagogues. 
and this would have been used as a local gathering, a worship center, apart from the main temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish synagogue arose during the Babylonian captivities because people couldn't get back to the central temple. So what they did was they planted, in a sense, these temples, these churches made up of small groups of people. They would gather, they would come because they wanted a place where they could worship, where they could be instructed in the law, where they could be taught. And so this is what's happened. So these are the places that Jesus is going into. And it was common to include preaching from various rabbis, uh, from teaching, uh, that maybe they had a message to share. So what's happening is, is the synagogue is open, Jesus is going in and he said, I have something to say to the people. And he's sitting down with the people and he's, he's sharing with them. He says the message of the good news. And he's doing it in lots of different places. It tells us all the different places. He's sharing that in. He's going and he's instructing because this was the place where people could come, where they could come and ask questions. You know, the, the style of preaching that we have today is probably a little bit further away from the preaching and stuff probably that, that was around when Jesus was here that he probably would have just sat down with people and they would have been allowed to ask a question. They'd be allowed to, you know, well, you know, I disagree with something you said. There's a reason we don't do that here because some people disagree with everything I say. <laughs> and, and so they would invite the instruction back or, or they would come and, and you know, and they say, backwards and forwards to find out, well, hold on a second, it says this, but it says that. It says we're doing a think next Sunday night, the conversation, you know, and it, it just simply to try and move it towards an idea of allowing people to say, well, I don't understand always everything that's written in scripture. Well done, join the club. But given an opportunity to share something, to say something, to ask a question, this is the way Jesus did it. Simply allow people to come back to him and to say this. So Jesus didn't simply go to the synagogues and say, you know what, you know the scriptures so you don't need any further instruction. Rather what he was doing is explaining the law to them. He's actually explaining them because what they had was the information of the law but not the revelation of the law. Having the information is great. I can give you lots of wonderful Bible facts about which books are longest in the Bible and, and memorize scripture and all of that. But listen, if all it is is instruction, it's no good to us. It's revelation uh, that we need, but it's revelation of scripture. See, as Jesus sits with these people, he understands that they have the instruction, but Jesus is saying, listen here, a bit that was Isaiah 9 to do all that was written and stuff. This that, that was written about me. Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Sovereign Lords upon me. All the stuff that he is sharing in the synagogues, you know, all the stuff that he's sharing with the people, it's a fulfillment of what is said in the Old Testament. And these people aren't quite getting it. They're not quite getting it because they're looking for somebody else. Jesus is instructing them, but what they need is revelation. So Jesus is not just teaching uh, and preaching, but there is a difference between teaching and preaching. And I'm just going to take a few moments to do this because, you know, I think that would be true to say that's something we need to hear in our day and age. I'm beginning with the difference between teaching and preaching is one of emphasis and manner, not of content. If I was going to describe preaching, it's the uncompromising proclamation of certainties. Teaching is the explanation of the meaning, 
and significance of them. I think that's quite probably the best way to try and explain that. We need both preaching and teaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous preacher from, from Westminster, when asked what was preaching, says his logic on fire. I thought, I love that. I wish I'd come up with that. Logic on fire. The word of God is information that leads to revelation, that leads to transformation. Trying to help us now. Because one of the difficulties that they had in Jesus' day was they had all the words in front of them, all the scripture of the Old Testament in front of them, and it was just information to them and not revelation. And we as a church do not want to just have the information of the word of God, but have the revelation of the word of God. That's what we need more than anything. Billy Graham said this concerning the word. He said, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. God's will is not something that floats about out here that we try and grasp hold of. It's something that's written in scripture, in the word of God, that we're to study. It says D.L. Moody, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. It says the third one, to meditate on scripture is to allow the truth of God's word to move from head to heart. It is to so dwell upon a truth that it becomes part of our being. The challenge for Jesus as he speaks to these people is he understanding that they just knew information. He says what he wants to do is give them revelation. What do we want as a church above all else? We want revelation of the word of God. Not just information, not just dazzling people with wonderful facts about theology, how we understand something and that. He said, listen, no point. If, if you're a preacher and you understand it, but nobody else understands it, what's the point? says we preach the truths of God so people can understand it and they can apply it to their life because it's a truth that changes people's lives. And so we understand that preaching focuses on influencing, motivating, inspiring the listeners in such a way that a positive change will take place. But teaching is different. It's more towards informing, educating, equipping the listeners with knowledge and skills. This is true here that, excuse me, you need the head and the heart. You separate the head from the heart and you'll have a train wreck of emotion in the pulpit. Disconnect the heart from the head in the pulpit and you will have a running commentary of cold theology that does not lead the congregation to understanding the, the truth. Where's the middle ground? Well, that is a middle ground between the preaching and the teaching. You need both the heart and the head. It says tears of joy you want to see from people. Conviction in their lives. Eyes that dazzle in the glory of God is the goal. What we get most times is yawns of boredom. <laughs> you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, I can't listen to this and stuff. He says, I sort of, I blasted a whole series of Netflix on the telly yesterday. I can't concentrate and listen for 40 minutes to what the word of God says. And, you know, that's a struggle we have sometimes. He says, because we look at it and say, we don't realize the value and the importance of, of what's being preached at. I mean, I, I read a quote yesterday, and this is so true. And I, I say this not, not to offend, but there's a reality of it. You know, you spend 12, 13 hours a week preparing a sermon. You're praying over it, that people's lives will be changed, not by the words that you say, but the power of God. 
It says you're believing every word that comes out, challenges, encourages, inspires. You come off the pulpit and all I want to do is drink water. Or you, you go to the door and you think to yourself, I'm ready for what anybody has to say to me. The first person comes out after you've sown your life into what's being said this morning. And the first person comes out and says, it was warm in the church this morning, Pastor, wasn't it? <laughs> I say that with all the love that I have. If it's too warm in the church this morning, keep it to yourself, all right? Because we're there. Because that's what we want. Now, the preacher never teaches... It finished sermons with cliches, jokes, shocking statements that often cause people to remember the effect of what's being said and not the truth of what's being said. You know, we, we've talked about this as a church. We were in church last Sunday night. I, I had a young man deliver a trend, tremendous message on temptation that was biblical, that was applied to people's lives. He says, so because we, we've said every time we come to this pulpit, I can get up here and tell you funny stories. I'm a funny guy, you know I am. But they won't help any of you. We could come and I could tell you seven things I learned from my dog this last week and how we apply it to scripture. That won't help any of you. He says, we come and we're uncompromising. We're preaching and teaching the truth because we have to be. We have to be. Now, for some of you who look at it and say, oh, it's not my truth, it's not the doctrine that I believe, that's okay. But the truth that we believe from the scriptures here, what Jesus is saying is the responsibility of preaching the gospel and teaching the word and healing the sick. And you see, there must be that overlap here, there must be that. Amos 8.11 says this, and I think this is so true of the world we live in in church today. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It says, let us not be a church like that. Let us not look outside of the word of God. For, for what he has to say to us. That people are looking for words from the Lord, but not the word of God. He says that's the one that changes people's lives. That's the one that sets people free. And you see, we're living in that culture today. It's almost like in churches, it's that fast food culture, isn't it? You know, when you're hungry, it says the easiest thing to do, hit Kentucky, hit McDonald's, hit Burger King, or hit all three. You know, whatever you... It's a fast food mentality, isn't it? We're hungry, we'll get that instant feed. We brought that into church. We're spiritually hungry. Let's find a fast food. Let's go on YouTube and let's go on a podcast. Let's find something that just blasts us for five minutes with somebody who tells us how wonderful we are and that. And those things are okay, but they're not a substitute for the study of the Word of God, for being taught the Word of God, for preaching the gospel. That's the effective proclamation of it. How do we know it is? Because when Jesus starts his ministry, it's what he does. He doesn't get up and tell a funny story and tell us about what happened to the sheep on the hillside last Wednesday. He doesn't tell us that. He gets straight into it with people and proclaims the truth that he knows because he knows that's what people need to hear. 
And he challenges them and he changes them. And Jesus moves on because my time is near up because I want to look at the third thing. That, that, that simply this, that Jesus did not stop at preaching and teaching. He verified his claim to be the Messiah by supernaturally meeting the needs of people. It tells us how he healed people and he touched people and he changed people. The afflictions of every kind, the relief from suffering, the reality of the truth that Jesus really was bringing the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' ability to heal all those with different kinds of diseases demonstrates that he has this authentic and real power over creation and the damage done by the fall of man. His authority over the demons and those who were demon-possessed simply tells us he is the defeater of everything. He has victory over all things. And he comes after he teaches the word and preaches the gospel. But then prays for the sick. Prays for those who are possessed. Pray for those who have all sorts of different issues and problems. And Jesus had this purpose. He didn't want to attract great multitudes. It's not what he's about. I always say this when people pray and say, oh, we need more miracles today. Oh, we need more of the miraculous. You know, we do. Jesus bought the miracles and he's full. And they still put him on a cross. They still hated him for it. So the idea that we think that having more miracles will bring people in, I'm not overly sure it does. There's the example of Jesus there. You know, that he's there, that he brings the miracles, but they still put him on a cross for it. And you see, Jesus comes at the outset of his ministry, and he simply wants to just say to people, I'm here. I'm in the business of changing people's lives. And as people heard him, they did this, it tells us. They brought to him with people with illnesses. He cured them. They brought to him people with pains. He healed them. They brought to him people who were possessed by demons. He cast them out. They brought to him paralyzed people. He raised them up. To simply follow on as to what Jesus did. I wonder if we just close our eyes, bow our heads for a second as we come to the end of this sermon. We simply just want to do this because we believe in the teaching of the word. We would amen that. We believe in the preaching of the gospel because we want to see people saved. But Jesus still heals people today of all sicknesses and of all illnesses. And that could be physically, it could be mentally, it could be emotionally, it could be anything that anybody is dealing with at the moment. And just before the team come up, I wonder if we could simply do this. If there's something in your life at the moment and you are struggling, we're not asking you to come out to the front. We're just simply asking you to stand. We just want you to stand and we're just going to pray over everybody that stands. Believing, believing that God could heal you in a moment. Thank you. Thank you for the people who are standing. If there's something wrong with you physically, we are taking a moment to simply say, God, would you touch and heal these people? Jesus' ministry arrived with a proclamation of the teaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel, and the healing of the sick. Come on. So a few more. Some of you are not standing. You see nothing to lose. We're not bringing you out the front. We're asking you to pray. 
Now, God, I've only been to lay hands on you, which is simply between you and God. Any more? Any more people? Father God, we come before you today. Father, we have no power in ourselves, Lord, nor would we want it, and nor do we need it. Because God, you are the God that heals. And Father, the proclamation of your son as he began his ministry, as we've looked at this morning, was that he went around preaching the gospel, teaching the word, and healing the sick. And Father, we believe that likewise, we are taught and encouraged and challenged to do the same. To pray for those that are unwell, to pray for those who are sick, to pray for those who are afflicted with all sorts of illnesses. And we pray for them today, that in the name of Jesus and by the power of Jesus, you would heal the people that are standing in church this morning for your glory, for your glory alone. That the testimony and the witness of this Sunday morning would not be how great the worship was, how wonderful the preaching was. It was be simply the people got healed because God healed them. And Father, we just ask for that this morning as a church, as we pray for each and every person standing up. And we don't need to know the detail, for you know the detail. And we ask, would you touch them and heal them? In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. 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 Thank you, everybody. Church, let's stand and worship together. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Father God, we thank you for this time spent in your presence this morning. We thank you that you still save and that you still heal. It is not just something that happened in the, the times gone by, but we thank you that you still save and that you still heal today. Oh God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness that none of us deserve today. Yet we stand redeemed by grace alone today. I pray you would bring us back safely again this evening in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.